Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's my buddy, my good, good buddy, Brad Fry of the band Ultimate Warriors, of Gate Crashers, of Air Conditioning, of Piss Jeans, of more than I'm forgetting, but more on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can write an email to it. I will try and get back to you. Right now, things are kind of crazy, hence why the show is super late. If you need to get in touch with me in the immediate, though, you can hit me up on various forms of social media, at Left for Damien. You can find Turn Out of Punk on Facebook at turnoutapunk.com. Facebook, nope. Facebook.com slash turn out of punk. That's it. And that's a page run by my brother, my good, good buddy, my, my little buddy, my little brother, Tristan Abraham. You can send a message there. It'll get the message to me. Um, yeah. Um, oh, we also post stuff on there, like that people send into the show, flyers, things like that. And if you would like to see that stuff and you don't use Facebook, you can head over to turnoutapunk.tumblr.com. And if you would like to find a way to support the show, the best way to do that is by going over to iTunes and subscribing to this thing, writing a review, rating it. It would also be very, very helpful. Um, And uh, if you would like to support me and the band that I play in, fucked up, we have a brand new 12-inch Year of the Snake out now on the amazing, the godly Tank Crime Records run by my good buddy, Scotty Karate. So head on over there and order that. Uh, monstrous record. Um, Scotty killed it with the packaging and everything. It's a, it's it's an it's an impressive little uh, little piece of work. Thank you very much to Tank Crimes for uh, once again being being the buds, being the buddies. Speaking of buds, speaking of friends, speaking of today's show. First of all, I guess I should explain to you what's going on. Um, this is very late, and you've probably also noticed if you're a loyal listener that Turned Into Punk footnotes has been missing for a few weeks. Also, oil and flowers have been missing for a few weeks, and clobbering time has been missing for months. Well, it's because I've been super busy kind of preparing for what I'm doing right now, um, which is on the road making a TV show. I'm going to give you more details on that as we go on, but it means that for the next little while, um, this show is going to be a a, a little uh, up in the air on release times, but I promise you, I promise you, I'm never going to stop putting out Turned Out of Punk. And I promise you, I promise you, as soon as I can make scheduling work with uh, the other hosts, Turn Out a Punk Footnotes will be back, Oil and Flowers will be back, and Clobbering Time will make its its long, long overdue return. Um, I'm going to have a lot to talk about on Clobbering Time, I promise you that. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm exhausted. Uh, we're working pretty hard down here. I'm in Mexico right now. I'm in Tijuana and uh, filming and having an amazing time, you know, doing doing a lot of cool stuff, but... Unfortunately, it meant that you had to go without hearing this incredible episode because this is a monster of an episode. Brad is someone who I've you know known for God years now. Someone I wanted to have on the show since the very beginning, and he's someone that walks uh, a lot of paths that I love. You know, um, he's not a cannabis guy, but he definitely walks the other path that I love, which is record collecting, music, and of course wrestling. This is a uh, really fun episode. If you're a Piss Jeans fan. You'll, you'll dig it because you're, I think you're going to get into some a lot of their older bands too. And you're going to find out about Brad's connection, if you're a wrestling fan, to Chikara Pro, which is it's awesome. This is a, this is a great episode. Uh, I'm so happy that Brad finally um, was on the show and we're going to be back. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's going to be a part two in the future. 
future. Anyway, I'm not going to bother you anymore because I have to have a shower before I get up and start shooting again. Um, so sit back, relax, and enjoy Brad Fry on Turned Out a Punk. Brad, thank you so much for doing this show. As I just said to you on the mini podcast we recorded before going on air, that uh, <laughs> this has been a long time coming, so you and me have a lot to talk about. Yeah, how long have we been talking about doing this for? You're so. one of the original ones, too. Like, the first, like, we've been talking about this for, like, almost two years now. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But, um, families. Yeah, well, thanks and, for having me on. Well, hey, I understand. I, I really appreciate it because there's... You know, there's there's innumerable topics we could go to, but we have to get the uh, main crux of the show out of the way first, which is, yeah. Brad, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you came across the genre? Well, I mean, I it's, it's, it's hard to think about exactly when it was really, you know, discovered for me. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like there's... There's really like two ways people got into punk a lot, at least for our generation, is you kind of either got in through like pop punk or you got in through metal. Yes. And uh, like I, I guess I kind of got through in like the metal side of things, you know, when uh, like Metallica became popular with like one and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And Guns N' Roses is when I first started to become aware of music. Um, and then like, I guess it's weird because. Uh, like punk, like I would have been aware of like the Sex Pistols, you know, like from Motley Crue covering the Sex Pistols, you know, on like mm -hmm. uh, on stuff. But uh, like I really, I guess I got in more through metal because uh, like Metal Maniacs and Metal Edge and, and things like that. Um, I'm like pretty lucky in the '90s, like so I was into like Morbid Angel and Sepultura and Deicide and stuff like that, because you get that stuff through Columbia House, mm -hmm. which is horrifying for a parent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, let's go on this, you know, we're going down to the beach. And that's what I'm listening to in the backseat, you know, the whole time. <laughs> um, where, but, where, uh, where was the metal address coming from? Like, was, did you have, like, uh, any siblings or, or peers that were into metal? Like, what, what, what gravitated you towards, like, aggressive music, I guess? I, you know, uh, when I first heard Guns N' Roses, that, like, changed everything. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that was, like, 88. <laughs> so that's obviously not when I got into punk. But, um, but that was kind of, like, when I first became, like, hey, I like music. Mm -hmm. And then my sister was really into Metallica, and she's seven years older than me. And I think she had, like, you know, a cassette with, like, Pantera, like, Cowboys from Hell and stuff like that. And then from there, I got into, like, Biohazard. And, like, from there, it just kind of trickled down. So I am super fortunate as well because uh, there's a guy who's a family friend. His name's Carl Anderson and not the Carl Anderson you're thinking. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are you holding out on me, Hoot? Yeah, no, not the machine gun. But, uh, so, and he worked at this video store. He lived like a couple of houses from me. And, you know, when you're young and you're obsessed with music, you, like I just walked around town listening to music because, mm -hmm. you know, at that time having a disc man was the most insane thing in the world. <laughs> so one day I, one day I go in to probably rent like some video game or something and I'm listening to music and he's there. He's like, what are you listening to? And I specifically remember I was listening to, Sepultura Arise. And he's like, oh, that's cool. 
Uh, he's like, oh, I should make you a tape of some stuff. So this is like 93 or something like that, I think. Um, and the tape that he brought me back was United Blood, Victim in Pain, the first two Madball 7 Inches, Cause for Alarm, um, Whoa. and Life's Blood. So, like, that's, like, my first real, like, now I knew about, like, punk and stuff, but, but, like, I never really got into, like, your classic, like, punk. I got into hardcore more first, I guess, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with that. So, like, imagine that's, like, the first thing that you hear. How old like, is this guy? Is, is he much older day. than you? Sorry. <laughs> I'm probably, like, 10 years older than me, okay. I guess. Um, I, like, uh actually going to see him in a couple of weeks, which is going to be awesome because I haven't seen him in a long time. But um, yeah, so he made me a tape of that, which is like bonkers. Yeah. And so I love that right away. And then he started like making me more stuff. So like another tape that I got was like Break Down the Walls, Just Can't Hate Enough, <laughs> Reagan Youth 12-inch. And so you can imagine when you're like 13, 14 years old and you hear Make a Change. Yeah. <laughs> like mind is completely blown. Like the second that comes in, I'm just like hooked, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like super, super fortunate to have that. And at the same time, like, uh, I remember he made me a tape of capitalist casualties wow. and, uh, yeah, dude, dude, like I'm very fortunate. <laughs> but like for like <laughs> 90 and 93, like, you know, it's like, I, like yeah. maybe I'm wrong in thinking this, but like to find someone that was into Madball and Capcaz and Life's Blood, <laughs> it's like that seems yeah. like someone with tastes towards the later part of the '90s <laughs> more so than the early part, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. But what's important about the Capitalist Casualties tape is I was never really a big Capitalist Casualties fan, but at the end of side B <laughs> was the, the Infest Mankind Seven Inch. Oh, so. Like, that's another thing being exposed to, too, like, super early on. So, yeah. like, I didn't really get into, like, punk, punk, per se, like, more until later. But, like, in our area, we had a huge, like, pop punk scene because Weston is from the town where I grew up. Mm -hmm. So, like, Weston was a thing and, and all that. So, like, as far as going to shows, you know, that was more... I was more like going to pop punk shows and stuff like that. Like most of my friends were into that, not necessarily into like hardcore and stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's and also 93 is kind of a bummer time for, for, it's not as, not as, uh, as rich its period as it is for hardcore as it is for uh pop punk. True. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> also yeah. just because going back to guns and roses, you brought them up. That's a band that I don't think just gets nearly enough credit for exposing people like, you know, they, they covered fear. They like, they repped punk just as much as Metallica did, I'd say. Completely, completely. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at like Duff's roots, mm -hmm. like, I mean, it's pretty, pretty obvious where a lot of influence came in. Absolutely. No, I think that's the, uh, you know, and I, I guess Izzy too, apparently was into punk and stuff. Not, not, not yeah. with the lineage, of course, that Duff has, which is, you know, beyond reproach. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so, 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 you, so I guess like, yeah. So where are you kind of, are you being able to see, like, what's your first show that you go to? Are you going to metal shows before you kind of get into this punk stuff or hardcore stuff? I should say. No. Cause I was just, you know, young. young yes. Yeah. It was just like, if my parents were taking me, I couldn't really do much. So what was your first, first con like concerts even like what kind of concerts were you going to? 
Um, like, I don't know if I really went to a concert before. I probably attended more wrestling events before I attended, <laughs> like, shows. <laughs> you know, like, so I didn't really have, like, big, you know, like, like, I probably saw the Ramones after I had gone to my first hardcore show. Well, I never Ramones got to see them. play around here, like, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I was never really a big Ramones fan, so. But Whoa, that's hot take. To say, but I know, right? <laughs> but again, it's like, I was, you know, like, I got into hardcore, you know, and I yep. loved pop punk, too. So, which I still do to this day, which we could probably talk about, you know. Oh, we could go deep. There's so many places in that, you know. So, but like I'm at the same trying time, with really, all my power not to bring up wrestling right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we will get there. Okay? We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll definitely yeah. get there. Um, but yeah, so like then I also had like so I started working at a screen printing shop, and a guy who worked there was a guy named Mark Kale, who was the original guitar player in Weston too. Oh. So at the same time, this dude, Carl, Mark Kale's exposing me like Boston, not LA and uh, Poison Idea and stuff like that. Now, this is more like 94, 95 and stuff like that. But like, I'm just having like wonderful influences very early <laughs> on. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, like another thing on top of that was there was a radio show out of Chatham, New Jersey, I think it was. Um, I think it was... 91.7 or something like that, you know? And there was a hardcore show from like, I don't know, like seven to nine. And then from like nine to midnight, there was a metal show. So that hardcore show is then how I was exposed to like nineties hardcore and how I got into like earth crisis and, you know, mouthpiece and undertow and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and kind of diving more into like, cause I, I, you know, obviously very involved in like straight edge hardcore scene, I guess for lack of a better term in the nineties. Um, so like I had, you know, that influence too, which was like every Thursday, just like going home and throwing a cassette tape in and like taping the radio. Yeah. So then mm -hmm. I had, you know, that to listen to and, and things like that. So, I had a lot of that different influence. So what kind of shows? Yeah. Like you said, pop punk's kind of the main dominating kind of stuff that's happening at that time. What's the first show show you went to? Do you remember? The first show that I went to was, I think in Bangor, Pennsylvania, which is kind of middle of nowhere. And it was outcome and crutch and a bunch of other random hardcore bands. Yeah. What a weird um, show. <laughs> And I remember being like, so kind of like nervous because I'd never been, you know, and it's just yeah. like, oh, man, I, I wonder if it's OK if I wear my Earth Crisis T-shirt, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. just like, like you have no, like I had no expectations of what to do. I specifically remember um, Outcome playing and I had never heard Outcome before and doing like. You know, there's like a big stage down for the final, or, or a big like pylon for the final song, and everybody's singing along. And there's me up there singing along, not knowing any of the words, <laughs> just faking it. You know, <laughs> so uh, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so then basically the next couple of years revolved around me seeing like Weston and Plow, Plow United, mm -hmm. or like Twenty Five to Life. And <laughs> like Fury of Five and stuff like that. So that was like kind of, you know, the shows that I would see. And, and, you know, too, like it wasn't just pop punk shows. It wasn't just hardcore shows. Like 
in the early to mid nineties, like everything was a total mix, you know, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't just strictly one style of music because it's just, it wasn't that easy to do as yeah. it is kind of now. Mm-hmm. Well, it absolutely like, it, it just didn't seem like you could be, or, or people maybe weren't as selective, you know, like, like there was certainly some elitism, but like the fact is like you could have, uh, a, a mixed bag show in a way that doesn't seem like it would be viable. Maybe it's more viable today than it was a couple of years ago. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was complete mixed bag stuff. Would, so would you see Digger? Was Digger from there too? Yes. Yeah. Digger was from, from here a little bit later. Yeah. They kind of started blowing up towards the late nineties a little bit. Like, you know, as far as international touring and things like they, they were definitely popular in Toronto. Well, I mean, isn't all pop punk top popular? in Toronto. Not as popular Canada. as well, not as popular as in <laughs> Quebec. Quebec, I think holds, well. <laughs> they hold it down for uh like still any- Yeah, how about it, man? Like, <sighs> you know, the, all those bands could tour Quebec and make a killing these days still, right? Well, they they just announced the lineup for Rockfest, which is this incredible and I mean incredible in every sense of the word. Uh, festival that happens in Montebello, uh, Quebec every year. And like the bottom half of the bill are it's like, there's a tribute to minor threat act. There's a tribute to Fugazi act. There's a tribute to epitaph records act. <laughs> like do that. I like that would oh, be great. Oh, be incredible. But this is not about that. This is about you. So <laughs> I, it seems like that would have been like, uh, you know, when I kind of think of the scene at that point, you know, like that was, I guess what was kind of happening at what point? Cause you guys were like, you know, always so versed in, in like, you know, punk and hardcore. Where did you, what, at what point did you start playing music and like, where did ultimate warriors kind of fit in the scene of tough guys and pop punks? I, um, uh, didn't fit in at all. First of all, <laughs> that was very, very interesting. Uh, I mean, I started playing guitar, I think when I was 11 or 12. Uh, okay. So, I mean, uh, I, of course, had like a, you know, your generic 90s straight-edge hardcore band to start off with. Um, what band was that? What band were you in? What band is that? Uh, it was a band called Nothing Said. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, never really did anything ever. Okay. We just recorded a couple songs. Uh, did you guys play out? Great, but, uh, a few times here and there. But, you know... We were young, 14, 15, had no clue what we were doing, not realizing like, hey, this style hardcore band doesn't need to play for 30 minutes and uh, just, just probably not good. But uh, yeah, so that was that. And then – Was anyone else in that um, band? Did anyone else do anything else after that band? Uh, well, myself and Randy who plays bass and yeah. cheats now. Um, so essentially I've been playing music with Randy for the past like 24 years of my life straight. <laughs> Which, and I've known him since I'm about four years old. Um, so we've pretty much been together for a very long time. Um, but yeah, so like one day, you know, I mean, we would play music together. So like the, the ultimate warriors kind of started, not as anything serious, which is usually how every band that I am in starts. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just this like stupid thing with me on guitar, Randy on drums, um, Matt on vocals and uh, like Don Gibson on vocals as well. Um, And we recorded this like little thing. And then maybe a year later we got together and made it 
uh, serious is probably not the right word to use for it, but um, <laughs> well, it I became think, a thing. I would say by 90s hardcore band standards, like, it was a serious band. You guys had multiple releases. And, like, you know, how much touring <laughs> did you do? You guys, did you tour at all? Oh, or? none. Uh, okay. We did one tour um, <laughs> with uh, Kung Fu Ram Chicago. Okay, uh, yep. Who was awesome, and they were great live. I don't think they ever got captured on record how they were live. Um, so we did a two week tour with them. We essentially took zero gear. Um, we just borrowed theirs. So there were more light tubes in Randy's van <laughs> than guitar amps and a barbed wire bat and all that fun stuff. You know, that normal bands take on tour. Um, Normal Pennsylvania bands, I think. Is yes. <laughs> well, it seems to be, yeah, that's the one place where <laughs> that happens. Um, yes. But yeah, we, we just did a two-week tour. You know, and, and it's funny, too, because we, um, you know, we weren't the greatest band in the world in the beginning. I think we turned into something okay. Uh, yeah, I'd, say, I'd definitely say. <laughs> um, there was, like, we didn't fit in anywhere, especially around here. Um, cause like it wasn't necessarily a cool thing that we were doing at the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. So when we played shows, it would just be like with the most random bands, but this odd thing happened in the late nineties where we were just always booked with like Jerome's dream and orchid. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like these like five goofs, just like having fun or whatever, and these very serious bands that we're playing with, you know? <laughs> and uh, there's us who are taking absolutely nothing seriously. So it was, it was very interesting, especially when, you know, we would have some of our friends come along and put on a, a performance, let's say. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of very interesting shows that, that happened there. I, I think yeah, that's the thing. is like almost like the world caught up to you guys. You know, like I'm thinking about certain people I know in the Orchid uh, that probably would have been a lot more serious back then than they were later, yeah. where I think they would now have a lot more fun <laughs> hanging out with you guys than probably <laughs> at those shows. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> um, and and there's nothing wrong, you know, no. with any of those bands like that. And I, I loved all those bands. Like, you know, especially even today, if you listen to Orchid casts me, like it's – an incredible, you know, record still holds up. Um, but yeah, it was just a very weird contrast playing with a lot of those bands. It just was kind of always how it happened for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't know. I always say like, we've always just really bad at being in bands. Like we don't know how to really promote or really book shows or do anything. It's just kind of all happened. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. It's just like, even today, how we're doing anything is beyond me. Or functioning. I don't even know. <laughs> well, that's. A, I guess that's the thing is like you guys have almost like found a way to make the bands adapt to the friendships. Uh, like from the, for this looking from an external kind of point of view, and like you know, great bands too, and the bands have keep get kept getting better. You know, <laughs> like you know, to piss jeans. Like I'm, I'm sorry if you think Ultimate Wars uh-huh. is better than piss jeans. I don't mean to offend you that way, Brad, but I think piss jeans is. Better. Oh no no no. <laughs> well, but, well, I do too. So, yeah. I mean. <laughs> but like, it's but, it's kind of like you guys have like, yeah, like you're right. Like it's not like 
you're not like a pro core band, quote unquote, you know, it's always been like a professional band, but on, on your own terms at every step uh, though, it feels like that pretty much, you know, and I don't know if it's like just us being us stupidity, arrogance. I don't know. You know, we just <laughs> kind of always just do our own thing and just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, like we should be touring in like piss jeans and you know, <laughs> Yeah, but we all know what touring's like, so you you guys are definitely the yeah. smarter. It's like one of those things, the idea of it is great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, in theory, that is an amazing plan. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> um, but this is, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, relates back to what you were talking about earlier a little bit. You know, you mentioned how, you know, it wasn't necessarily cool what you were doing in Ultimate Warriors, and, you know, you kind of were going against the convention of the time bar a few bands that were also into wrestling. And I don't know how much you talk about wrestling and your involvement in wrestling. So I'll tiptoe around it as much as you want to. Um, oh, my involvement's fine. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, so, I'm so far removed. Well, that's okay. Like I just didn't know if you, <laughs> but, you in know, case yeah. you wanted another, no, it's okay. Another, uh, or there was going to be a return of certain, uh, personalities into Chikara rings. I didn't want to, you know, expose anything of yourself. It's okay. I mean, okay. Not, that likely won't happen. Okay. So anything is cool. I was just going to say, like, how did you get, you know, wrestling is obviously a huge part of Ultimate Warriors from the name to the to the vibe to the songs and stuff like that. Sure. You know, you talked about going to wrestling before you even went to, to sh concerts. How did you get into wrestling? What are your first memories of being into wrestling? Well, uh, I I don't know why. And you know what? I'll say recently, but sometime in the past two years, I was talking to my dad about it. Like, why did we order pay-per-views? And he's just <laughs> like, well, it's something you liked. But I still don't remember how I liked it. Because I remember Wrestling Challenge or whatever coming on after cartoons. And me hating when I would see that WWF start to the show because it signified that my cartoons were over. So somehow, somewhere in there, something changed. And so like... Around WrestleMania three, I guess was the time when I got into wrestling, and then uh, so I remember we ordered that and we watched the pay per view or whatever it was called back then. I don't even know. Um, but like Survivor Series, the first Survivor Series is the thing that sticks out to me, and that always like made me truly love wrestling was the DiBiase like promo of him just being, you know, the rich guy with Virgil kicking kids out of the pool and. Mm -hmm. Eating, you know, I, the I don't, basketball you know, challenge. That, yeah, like all that stuff yeah. combined into one, like what he's thankful for. And it was just, it captivated me, you know. <laughs> um, but I don't want to talk, you know, I don't want to bore everybody with too much talk between there. But we all know that like wrestling peaked and then it sucked. Mm -hmm. And along with when I'm getting into music and skateboarding and stuff like that, my interest in wrestling went away. But like ECW is what ended up bringing it back. And that's where it kind of uh, got rekindled for me in 95. My, myself and my friend Michael were flipping through another like fortunate thing of where I live is we would get sports channel Philadelphia, which means mm -hmm. we got ECW. So in 1995, we're flipping through. I specifically remember there's a sign in the crowd that says, we want Raven's blood, which I think was from hostile city showdown 95 with dreamer and Raven. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what is this? Like, what am I watching? Because this is not like the wrestling that I grew up on. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
I just started watching ECW. So I feel very fortunate to have started watching that in 95, you know? So like that period just got me way back into wrestling and then attitude era and all that stuff. And then from there finding Japanese wrestling and getting way too into that (laughs) for a while. Um, Yeah. It just kind of, so that coincide with doing the ultimate warriors and it's kind of funny because you can see while, where our like music ability is growing in the band, you, like our wrestling knowledge is growing too. Because <laughs> it went from being like, you know, generic wrestling stuff to talking about like Wing and Big Japan and yeah. weird Japanese indies and stuff like that that, you know, we, we got into near the end. So there's kind of that whole progression with, with wrestling in there. Had you seen any WCW before you saw ECW? Just be, or because I guess WWF was like the dominant TV product that you had, would have been watching, right? Completely, yeah. I don't even like. We probably got WCW Saturday Night, you mm-hmm. know, the old Mothership, and mm-hmm. uh, but I don't really remember watching it. So I think I knew of it, and I knew of NWA, but I'd never really, like, had really seen any of it. Uh, WWF was just the thing that was in our area that I would have seen. Um, so I guess I knew about it. And then, you know, once like raw and nitro and stuff like that started going head to head. Yeah. Then it got, you know, obsessive, I guess. <laughs> were, were you going to shows, uh, like when they would come through for house shows or were you going to the Philadelphia for the, in the pay-per-views or anything like that? No, actually I never really went to much. Um, just because, I don't know. I guess just I didn't really have a way to get there. Yep. Like uh to like ECW and stuff. I started going to local promotions like EWF and um what else did we go to? Like PCW, Pennsylvania Ch- Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um and that's where I would have seen like Quackenbush and Reckless Youth and uh boy, all the names escape me now. Besides, <laughs> like, Mr. Ulala, Mozart Fartain. Uh, yeah, like, not the best, but, like, lovable independent wrestling. Well, like I know I know from uh, what I've picked up that Reckless Youth is, like, the uh, the the black flag of indie wrestling at a certain point. Yeah. Like, he, he's, like, one of the first people to kind of, like, help lay the foundations of that kind of world. Um, yeah, Definitely. Which is funny because it's kind of like you're 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 at the same the rise of independent wrestling is kind of happening at the same time as you're getting you know thrust in this independent music scene I guess like or like that you're actually starting to play out you know there's I guess smaller promotions the fall of ECW and then the sort of the rise of everything in its wake. Um, when did you start like actually you know wrestling? Um, like for real? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like well, in any, like in front of an um, audience, let's put it that way. Um, well, at one point we had like done some stuff and we had actually owned a ring and we had like shows in there. Well, you can, uh, like you can talk about your backyard pass. You can talk about your backyard. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that because everybody did it, you know? But yeah. Like, so, so we had, we had bought a ring. Me and a couple people, uh, we ran a couple shows and stuff like that, and it was fun. We, it was it was very fun, but um, you know, myself and where did you uh, buy a ring? Uh, like just as like fans, like uh, was it oh high God. spots or uh, no, no? It was like a used ring in Ohio. Okay, that we uh, 
we we drove out to Ohio um, when I'm you know like 19 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, no life experience whatsoever. So <laughs> to me, Ohio could have been like China um, <laughs> because. Um, so yeah, I mean, we went out and oh god, it's. Uh, trying to kind of like pretend like we're trained to this guy who's selling us the ring. Like, yeah, we know what we're doing. Um, yeah. Oh God. Ridiculous. Um, yeah. So we just went to Ohio, bought a ring and then it sat for like six months till we found a warehouse, um, ran like three shows with quotation marks around them. Uh, and, Were there any actual uh, like real, like, train professional wrestlers on that or is it just you and your friends kind of figuring it out and planning it out? Uh, yeah, the latter. <laughs> just, just, just us, us trying to figure it out, which, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'm not going to say that it's good or anything, you know, but yeah. it was fun. It was a yeah. good time. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the, the catalyst for us to, to get trained like for real and go to wrestling school. So, um, you know, we were we were looking for schools. We looked. Uh, I remember calling like Carino's school um, to try and get some info on that. Uh, it was on like Rapid Fire. Maldonado was the trainer there, mm-hmm. um, but it was hard. You know, like the internet wasn't what it was. Um, it was hard trying to like find a school and get info yeah. on everybody's like Angel Fire sites that don't have any <laughs> info. Um, yeah, there's there's just there wasn't much. So then once we heard. And, uh, and then we're just, we went immediately from like punk and hardcore into wrestling, didn't we? But uh, no, that's fine. No, because they, I think uh, with you, they, 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 you know, and it's funny cause you don't obviously now with piss jeans, you don't play it up at all. But like, I think you guys were so like, <laughs> you laid the foundation for where, where I <laughs> put my head every night now, which is like the world that the, these two places intersect. So yeah, for me, this yeah. is amazing. This is perfect. So go on. <laughs> well, at least there'll be one person who. Uh, there's a, believe me, we've had Robbie Brookside and MVP and Jeff Cannonball on, so we've established that this is a very wrestling friendly podcast. Well, not to get off subject, but dude, what I you told me about Brookside and you told me about his stuff, but to hear him talking about Gizm and things like that was just like <laughs> mind blowing to me. Dude, <laughs> he um, he just they did, NXT just did a show in New Jersey, and he just went out and hanged out, hung out with Andy It Up and Jeff Cannonball and all those guys. Just went record shopping with them. Oh, sick! That's so great, man. It's so great that he like still has a passion for it, mm-hmm. um, even as being you know serious and being this unbelievable wrestling talent. Yeah, uh, that he still has that passion for it. It's, it's totally awesome. Well, it's 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 funny because it's it's so hard to be in both places at once, as everyone's talked about. But like, that's I think the thing that's amazing is he's still that DIY guy, in addition to yes. being yeah that wrestling guy too. So yeah, but this yeah, is not bro- so about good. Brookside. This is about Brad. <laughs> um, so 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 I think we were talking about training. Yeah, where'd you find the school? So then eventually we found out that Mike Quackenbush and Reckless Youth were going to be opening the school. Mm-hmm. Um, which was like, oh my God, this is insane. Um, we have to get in. And it's funny, like the perception when you're younger, <laughs> where it's like, oh my God. And I've heard this on other wrestling podcasts, like for people have trained back then of like, oh my God, I better make sure that I get a deposit in because if I can't get in, then what am I going to do? And I'm not going to be able to get in here. When you realize like, 
if you got money, they're taking your money. It could be 50 <laughs> people in the class. It does not matter. But, like, you know, I'm freaking out. I was like, oh, my God. I want me to get this money. I got to get in because it would be the two best guys, two best independent guys. Um, and now looking back, I'm just like, this is ridiculous. So I actually – so to go to wrestling school was the first was, – was when I sold my record collection. Oh. To finance actually going to wrestling school. Um, and had you been like a real like you've been record collecting by this point too? Like yeah, go, going out and trying to get stuff. I mean, and like trying to get like the rarer things. Oh can... yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this would have been two thousand one. I okay. guess. So I mean, at that point, I'd been collecting records for six, seven, yeah, or something like that. So, so it was very sad to be like, oh, here's. Bye-bye, Neanderthal in purple. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know, but so like, I think most of that went to, to, to a uh, double decker. Um, <laughs> I so. wanted to bring them up too, because that's features. So, uh, figures so prominently in, uh, my, oh, my mean, thoughts of the area. Yes. And I mean, unbelievable influence on my life. Jamie Holmes is one of the greatest people I know. Um, yeah. Just, uh, the, I learned so much from that store and from him. You know, it's amazing. I'll be forever grateful because, you know, a lot of influence on my life from that record store. I've only uh, been there three times, and I would say there's a lot of influence on my life from that record store. Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's only three times. <laughs> yeah. Um, I might have uh, a lot more money if that record store did <laughs> I suppose it's a blessing and a uh, curse to be in the same – city area as that place uh completely yeah <laughs> was uh why i kind of avoid going in so the first time you sold all those records you um i guess that's like that must be were you deciding that like i'm more into wrestling than i'm at punk at that point or are you just like i gotta do this to kind of get to the next stage with this band uh yeah i think it was just I don't have any other option to yeah. pay for wrestling school. Mm -hmm. So you know, and in the end, you know, what are records? They're just records, right? Yep. So True. you can get them back again. Not a big deal. Um, so uh, I mean, it wasn't easy, you know, to let all that stuff go. Well, you're but, probably uh, thinking at Mania, you're going to get that Mania bonus, and you'll be able to buy everything back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny, you know. I think I've I definitely made less money in wrestling than I did make, make music. <laughs> not that not that it's about money at all. It's not about that. But <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, well, but, uh, but but so I guess like you're you're training to wrestle at this point. Are you guys still like? In, are you now incorporating stuff you're learning into the shows? Um, into like Ultimate Warriors shows. Yeah, uh, the Ultimate Warriors were actually done basically by oh. the time that I had started training. So the last Warriors show was in our warehouse, which was a show that I wish was on tape because it was pretty nuts. <laughs> um, you know, I hate to be, I hate to hype things up and be like, man, that show was crazy, but it was pretty crazy. I think most people who were there would tell you, you know, like, but more like hijinks crazy <laughs> than like, you know, 
then let's say it was just kind of wild. The place was just like, if I, I, I feel like I remember it just being like the entire floor is just a layer of like at least six inches of trash and toilet paper and pies and random things like that. <laughs> so it was very tame compared to, you know, uh, the other shit. So like, so before I was saying how, you know, we'd play with like Jerome Scream and Orchid and Usurp Synapse and like that style band. Well, we would also play with like Rain on the Parade and Time Flies <laughs> and, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, there was one show in Jersey that I think was Rain on the Parade, Time Flies. Um, I'm trying to think who else played, but like that, you know, that scene and then us with like a big crew, you know, like barbed wire boards and like stuff like that, you yeah. know, it's just like, and that's just like, okay, here's your break from, you know, your, your youth crew bands, yeah, your, and... your youth crew revival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, which I'm not against, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was just very interesting. A lot of shows like that. Did you guys ever play with bad luck at all? No, or? no we never did. Yeah. Never did. Um, it's like the great show that never happened. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I don't know if like we, because we were, were not necessarily a functioning band most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Like there were, there were like a lot of lineup changes where it was myself, Randy and Matt, who were always the content constants. Yeah. And then there'd be like people kind of coming in and out, which is why I got to the point where I was playing bass and singing because just finding people to play, there wasn't necessarily the network of people and we didn't know people, um, to, we had a lot of like random people in the band, I guess at different times. Um, yeah, man, I, I haven't thought about that stuff at all in a long time, but just, yeah, lots of, there were a lot of periods where we weren't really active or anything or playing shows. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you just like what was it a kind of a thing where I guess like yeah where you're just kind of a loss of fine members cuz like the three of you you Randy and Matt like that's such like a a powerful kind of combination um is it just like there's not other like-minded people around you Yeah I guess so at that um, point dr drummers were just like a rare commodity in this area and especially trying like drummers to be like, Hey, uh, want to come try out for our band? Can you play some blast beats for us? <laughs> like it's not necessarily something, you know, that everybody can just plug right in and do, um, you know, to the point where it's when we recorded, uh, the last thing we recorded was a split with Kung for Rick. It's just me, Randy and Matt. And it's just me playing drums, Randy playing guitar and bass, you know, because, we just didn't really have anybody else and it was just kind of easier to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So it was just me practicing blast beats for a while. <laughs> <laughs> How did you guys meet Matt? You and cause obviously you and Randy have been friends since you were like little kids. <clears throat> yeah. He moved here, uh, from Connecticut or New Jersey. And, uh, when I worked at the screen printing shop, uh, we would sell like used CDs and stuff like that. So he would come in there and then, Slowly, uh, we just started talking, I guess, and just became friends, uh, probably started skateboarding together and, and, you know, going to record stores and buying records and things like that. Just kind of evolved from there. 
Were all you guys into wrestling too, or did did you kind of like? I guess like you were into wrestling already, but did you rub off on the other two, or were you all guys just like around that time, like everyone was kind of into wrestling? Uh, the thing is, with the Ultimate Warriors, it was really just me and Matt who were into wrestling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And really like dominating, I guess that portion of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not that anyone else disliked it. It's just we were, I guess, dominating that that side of the aesthetic of of the band at that well, point. And you guys are a different breed of fan, you know. Like very clearly, like you know, you're 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 getting Japanese tapes. Like you know, like yeah. you're you're definitely like a a deep cut fan. That yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, my personality is like all or nothing. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to get into wrestling or Japanese wrestling, I'm going to go all the way. Um, if I'm going to start collecting kill by death singles, I'm going to go all the way. <laughs> it's like, there's no, like, there's just no, there's no, I'm mildly into that. It's like, no, I need to know everything about this. Like, give me it all. Just give me all the info you can. Um, so yeah, it was very, yeah, very, very deep kind of as we went on It just, very like you know trying to make just things you do when you're young trying to make like stupid references to rare things yeah <laughs> wrestling things and obscure things and stuff like that but it was like there's like were there what were the other bands that you were into that were kind of doing that stuff like were you into anti scene or you into cuz there's no one else that, like really in uh the world that you guys were in that's that into wrestling at that time um you know i never was super into like anti-scene and and kind of that that group of bands yeah the the confederacy Um, of scum yeah yeah i mean like it's not that i dislike them it just wasn't something you know that we necessarily (laughs) got into um i don't know i mean like spaz was a big influence on us um did spaz have wrestling songs uh, there was a little bit of that in there, but I mean, it wasn't necessarily something that would have been like, yo, we got to start a band like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, as opposed to martial arts like films, which inspired a lot of bands to start martial arts themed Kung Fu Rick. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know really why that was the thing besides just being, you know, idiots and just wanting to attain ourselves, you know, that's just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why we, you know, but I mean, like we got, you know, I was super into like power violence and stuff. Uh, slap a ham. Um, Charles Bronson, all that stuff was like a big influence, you know, all the bovine releases and things like that. Vacuum distro was like the greatest at the mm-hmm. time. So super into just like power violence and trying to be kind of that, I guess was, was a lot of our influence. Bovine's such a cool label too. You bring up Bovine, which unfortunately opened the Pandora's box with me. Cause that's one of those labels that, <laughs> you know, they put out the first, uh, Boris record in North America and put out like Turbo yeah. Negro's one of their early singles in North America. And like, and then yeah. like, and, and then the power Von stuff they were putting out too. Totally. Uh, I think a lot of that stuff is, I mean, at least my perception of it is kind of like not remembered that much. Um, but a lot of those, you know, as opposed to like the slap of hand releases, like the classic stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, I mean like releasing like, like the Charles Bronson ice nine split, which is mm-hmm. 
amazing spaz floor. Um, and then doing those, like those style splits, like that Boris Thompson seven split seven inch, you know, the grind of the mind comps, yeah. really agoraphobic nosebleed, you know, the 30 song seven. It's like, there's a lot of that stuff that like Sean had released that I feel like is kind of forgotten <laughs> these days, but it's yeah. like really cool stuff. And it's probably, it's, uh, probably a lot of those records are like, you can pick them up for like three bucks and they're great records at, at this point. Yeah. Like it's funny because like it, it's, it's so diverse his tastes that it, it's almost like unlike slap a ham where you can kind of be like, Oh, that's the power violence label. Even though he put it a lot more than just power violence, but <laughs> true. Yeah. But like with bovine, it's like, yeah, like it's, it's a power violence label. It's like an early rock label. It's like proto relapsey label. It's, it's all those at once. Yeah. Which leads to another diverse label from the 90s that you put out a record on, which is the uh, Moo Cow Records. Um, <laughs> another label that I love to talk about because they did the Dive record. They did the New Day Rising record. Mm. They did the yeah, In Memory the, of Boston Comp. Yeah, the Dive 7-inch is great, man. That's one thing that's like, you know, is, is awesome uh, as far as like Boston hardcore goes. Um, yeah, Mukau was like a real weird label, wasn't it? <laughs> it's a really... I, I haven't like <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a deep it's um, a deep catalog. Yeah, um, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did that come about? Like, how did you, how did the relationship with Mukau come about? Um, Jamie Getz, who I don't know if you know Jamie Getz. Um, yep. he he was in Outcome, and then he was in like Turmoil and. Uh, he did Abathakathy, which was like kind of like his noise sort of project. Mm -hmm. So somehow he arranged it because Outcome had did a split with Disbelief on Mukau. And so he knew the dude from Mukau. Um, and I guess he was kind of like, hey, do you have anything new projects? And that's how Abathakathy came up. And, you know, it was when Jamie was still living around here. So we just kind of did it that way, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so our interaction with Mukau, we didn't really have much of it. <laughs> it was kind of just <laughs> send everything in. But, um, that was the first record that I ever was on, uh, like the first like actual vinyl. And I'm sure you know it and anybody who, who like has gone through it, like that feeling of seeing that and holding that in your hands is like bonkers. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like such a, I mean, and, and each record that comes out is fun and all that. But that first one is just, I don't know. It's, it's crazy that, that it's something that actually exists. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really cool. Uh, yeah. Luke a weird label. <laughs> to, like, yeah. Revisit that, you know, <laughs> well, not like I, I look up the discography. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a fun look. There's a, there's an earth mover record on there. There's oh, a, man. it's, it's deep. It's a deep, interesting thing. Also like you all, you know, like you guys went up on some interesting labels too. You did robotic empire, right? Yeah. For the last yeah. record. Yeah. Well, uh, the split with daybreak was on, I guess, robo dog at the time. Okay. Robotic empire. Um, and then yeah, the come for Rick split, um, which I think Matt and Andy just actually like worked on, like all the ultimate warrior stuff is now on like Spotify and iTunes. And that's not a plug, I guess. <laughs> Why not plug away? Uh, this is your show. But, but if you want to listen to something fun, is <laughs> go on there and listen to 
the live Easton Fest uh, recording of the Ultimate Warriors uh, because I listened to that for the first time, long time, and it's highly entertaining. <laughs> it's just uh, it's a live recording of just my vocal mic and Matt's vocal mic. So, <laughs> so good stuff. Did you play in Carpenter Ants afterwards, or did you play in Carpenter Ant, or just like I did? One thing? I w- okay, I was never an official member of Carpenter Ant, but I filled in for like it was like a year or two. Um, <laughs> with and they with still them. wouldn't make you an official uh, member. Like, what are they, Metallica? <laughs> uh, I mean, it, well, their bassist Nick was in college in Connecticut or something like that, so. Yeah, that was a busy time because I think I was wrestling, working, playing in – like I don't know if Piss Jeans was active at that time. Maybe the Gate Crashers. I don't even know. Like wrestling. Did I say that? Who knows? Yeah, well, that, well, that, yeah. <laughs> How did it go with Gate Crashers? And because that's what I was kind of trying to get to next. So like Ultimate Warriors breaks up and then what do you do? Do you do Gate Crashers next or Carpenter Ant next? Uh. The gate crashes for next, which it actually existed during uh, during the Warriors too. Um, so usually, what happens is we do a band for a while, and then one of us is like, "Hey, let's do this other thing," um, which was essentially me and Randy on a snowy day in January recording a demo, um, which was kind of just like trying to take Boston hardcore. The Neos and Legless Bull and like <laughs> shove it all together, um, which probably isn't at all what it sounds like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, in the late 90s hearing like I had always been into, you know, like early hardcore from, you know, from that dude, Carl, who got me into it. But, uh, you know, throughout there, too, there are things like the year and seven inches and stuff like that. So into like DC hardcore and and all that stuff. But in the late nineties, um, do you remember the, there was a bootleg CD that was like world's finest hardcore. Dude, that is what got me into record collecting. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) that CD, uh, was just like, who are the Neos and why have I never heard of them before? Yeah. And I was just like, Oh my God. Uh, you know, like hearing the Neos was just, uh, it, amazing. Well, it's like the Neos are on the, every, like that is like such a cool, like yeah. bootleg compilation for what describing what it actually is, but like just the so, diversity of bands. So it's Neos, IQ32, the fart single, United Mutation. Yeah. What am I missing on there? Uh, New Strings for Old Puppets, the really red one. Yes. Um, Sick yeah. Pleasure. And, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Angry Simone's Queer Pills. That's right. Yeah. I mean, like, it's so good. And it's yeah. hard. Oh, and the Clip like, Boys. The Clip Boys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Clip Boys were on that. Um, so, you know, it, it's hard to think back when, like, there weren't blogs where you could just go yeah. download that <laughs> yeah. stuff. And stuff wasn't just in print or reissued. So that was, like, you know, a gateway. Yep. You know, like, like those sorts of comps, lost and found records, you know, like <laughs> that's those things, you know, it's like, I, it's crazy to think cause like people make fun of lost and found, you know, for being ripped off or whatever. I'm not 
accusing anyone of anything, I guess. But um, <laughs> like Lost and Found is where I first heard genetic control. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, which is such a weird thing. Like, I feel like. Well, it's um, it's it's because Lost and Found, like, you know, and, and it did, you know, like from bands have told me straight up that they got bootlegged. So, you know, this is from, uh, I guess, allegedly as well, but from bands yeah. telling me that they've been bootlegged <laughs> by this thing. But like. For me, that's the only way I heard of a lot of these bands, like most of these bands during that time. Completely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I used to love when, you know, our local record store would just get any Lost and Found stuff in because it would be, even if it was just like a comp, like I remember hearing Genetic Control on a comp Mm -hmm. um, or hearing like Ringworm for the first time, you know, like. Yeah. So there was or turning a point variety. or like, yes, uniform, yeah, like so much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like all that stuff. It's, it's so odd, which I wish there was like a catalog of lost and found bootleg shirts. There's gotta be to right. Like, like, cause there's so many, like you think of all the records and how <laughs> they just have like the worst color combinations, yeah, like so- the side by side one. <laughs> So you know the shirts existed of that. Yeah, exactly. Like the most hideous colorways that now would be kind of cool. Like, well, look- of course, now it would be cool. But it's like every shirt looks like the Space Jam uh, Jordans oh, or something, God, right? <laughs> yeah, so great, so it, great. And it's like it's funny too because like you're bootlegging the music. Why not just rip off the art? You know, like why go to the trouble of making this weird <laughs> kind of. Yeah, alternate remix version of all the artwork. And it's so weird that at the time that like things are being bootlegged, they're releasing like new records from bands like Rikers or uh, like a bunch of different like European bands that I can't think of their names now. But I just remember there being like this weird comp with all this old stuff mixed in with new bands and such a strange thing. Well, like, you know, like you hear about like, you know, another label that, uh, was notorious for not necessarily being the fairest with the bands was, uh, you know, what people would say was grand theft auto audio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, you know, they did a Gnostic front CD. You can't imagine that dude was anything less than straight up with agnostic <laughs> front, you know? And, and same with like, same with some of the stuff lost and founded, like, didn't they do like a Scarhead record? Like, or a crown of yeah. record? Like y- you're not fucking around with the royalties on that. one. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. The only thing with Grand Theft Audio was Agnostic Front Raw Unleashed was Grand Theft Audio number one. Yeah. So they could have started out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Then he also did that uh, benefit for Roger Comp too. I think oh, that's yeah. Oh, two yeah. on there as well. That's right. Yeah. Which but is a really good comp. Too. A great comp. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. And that's another way that you're finding about, like, for me at least, that I would hear about these bands that, like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not necessarily tracking down the records at that point. It's a couple of years before I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of tracking down records, uh, and I know I've already had you on for close to an hour and I promise we are not going to get anywhere close to piss jeans today, Brad. So <laughs> you're going to have to come back for a part two. <laughs> That's fine. And don't worry. Uh, I, I heard the, the new album's amazing. And so I will talk about the new album in the intro as well. So oh, unfortunately, awesome. we're, we're not going to get anywhere near there because we're going to be, <laughs> we're still milling around in the, uh, the middle period between Ultimate Warriors and uh, Gate Crashers. So, <laughs> which is, I, but I want to talk a little bit about record collecting because you sell all your records, like the power violence stuff from the sounds of it. Uh, yeah. to start training at wrestling. 
but then you kind of start collecting again, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's when it gets real a lot worse. That's when it gets really bad. So <laughs> it's a lot worse. I think my first word I guess there's a lot of questions I want to ask because this is, you know, a, a very interesting topic for any record collector to get into. Um what were you ever like were you at that point like I'm never gonna buy records again, or were you like this is just a temporary measure? I think it was just a temporary measure, you mm-hmm. know, cause my, my passion for it didn't change. It was just like, I was so focused and so obsessed, uh, with wrestling at the time and wanting to, to give it a go. Uh, and the opportunity was there with, you know, that with the Chikara school opening up mm-hmm. that I felt like I had to do whatever I could to do it. Um, so there was never a point uh, or a, like a thought of, yeah, that's it. I'm not collecting records anymore. It was just kind of something I had to do. And do you remember the first record you bought, like, you know, collectible record, I mean, like where you were like, okay, I'm, I'm back in the game. Um, well, it was, uh, well, like the first record, like collectible record that I came back and got was also the first killed by death style record. Which like open up the floodgates and AK forty seven, badge means oh, you suck. It, yeah, so um, that was like the start of. Ugh. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, that, that was yeah, and just you know starting to buy, killed by death comps and bloodstains and back to front mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. Power pearls just got me. In that whole, you know, because I, I have a, a fascination with the unknown, I mm-hmm. guess, mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, cause any, anyone who says that owning records is more fun than searching for them is a complete liar <laughs> because there's no fun in owning any of these things. They just sit there in a box. The fun is searching it out and the challenge and trying to find them, you know, like it's not, it's not necessarily fun to just like pull up eBay or discogs or whatever and just pay top dollar for it. You know, the mm-hmm. like going and digging through bins and trying to find things is, is what's fun. So yeah, getting into the whole kill by death world for lack of a better term was the thing that kind of got me way back into record collecting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just like the unknowns with all that stuff, and there wasn't necessarily the ease of the information and the very crude photocopied covers with the really wacky and bad write ups about everything just was so intriguing. And, you know, I mean, such great songs too, you know, just that kind of put me off the deep end with record collecting. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And I think, I think that's why that's, that era is still, is so appealing to me. It's not like, you know, like kill by death stuff is ever boring. Cause there's just seems to be so much mystery still about a lot of these bands. Like what, what is the story beyond this? Like one kind of aesthetically perfect seven inch that they put out? Like who were these Completely. people? Completely. Yeah. Um, you know, cause a lot of it too, there wasn't any outside influence. It's like bands doing like, you know, there's not, they're not doing anything necessarily to be cool mm-hmm. like back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that anybody ever was, but it's different than today where like you can just pull up 
any info on whatever you want to do and find out what's the coolest thing and how to look and what to do. Like you don't have to make mistakes. So like, there's a lot of that where it's just like, like, uh, you know, like this, like for example, like the strict nine single, Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. like you look at those dudes just look like, you know, like just like rocker dudes, <laughs> but like I've released this like incredible, incredible, like raw, like ripper, song you know like that's stuff that just like intrigues me and fascinates me so that's where that whole like realm of things was so kind of addicting for finding information and searching and tracking stuff down and yeah it's just it's good stuff Mm -hmm. no i like and i'm still like I, i still marvel at the fact that like how much great stuff is out there like and there's still like a couple, every couple of years that people find new records. It seems like there's like, Oh, there's, there's this other thing that's incredible from this time period that no one really knew about or, or this new genre or this genre that seemingly no one paid attention to until now. Um, that from back yeah, then completely. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm always amazed with it. It's crazy. Yeah. Like uh, I was going to say like the, the, that guy, Mark Kale that you talked about earlier that was in Weston, that's the dude that he was in the clap, right? Yeah, he was at times. Yeah. But but he's on the yeah. original like Kill by Death era of that band. No, no, he was uh, he was much later on. So. Okay. A, a good fact about Mark Kale is he's the first person to uh, introduce me to Chicks Dig It too. So Whoa, that's a good fact. Yeah, that's a great fact for this show. <laughs> one of my favorite bands of all time. They are one of the great bands of all time, and and also a band that you know, as we talked about today over text message. Seemingly, people that love tough guy hardcore also have an affinity for. Yes, I remember a lot of tough guy <laughs> hardcore people in Toronto would also play Chicks Ticket. Dude, so good, <laughs> so good, <laughs> so good. <laughs> so, I, I guess Gate Crashers kind of get going, and like I remember now, I totally remember when you guys started playing. But like once again, it, it seems like you were never, you know, going for it in the same way that other bands were even at that time in the, that genre, like you guys were like putting out records and, and putting out awesome records. But as far as like touring, not that anyone was really touring at that point, but like playing out, did you feel like you guys didn't fit in in the same way? Like I felt, I never felt like we fit into that time period with much. Cause it was like, felt like there was a very aesthetic, uh, d- divide in hardcore at that point. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I ever really felt like I fit in as far as, like with what was cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that to sound cool. I, I just like, <laughs> we were just kind of like in our own bubble here. Um, and again, not really knowing how to function as a band and like tour and book shows and, and whatnot. You know, we, we have the, probably the bad thing where we kind of let stuff come to us a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, f- and fortunately we've been in bands, you know, that, people have enjoyed enough to put out records by, <laughs> um, you know, thank God for Jay Scheller for putting out that stuff. You know? <laughs> yep. Um, so thank God for Jay Scheller really period. Grateful to him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I'll always be grateful to Jay for, for putting out, you know, the gene stuff and crasher stuff. Um, yeah, but we just kind of, I don't know. We just, again, we're just kind of bad at being in bands. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause like, yeah, you guys are in the kind of the, the land of pausing numbers and it's, yes. and gate crashers, you know, you know, like you're playing fast, hardcore, 
but yet it's not like you guys would have fit in on a posi numbers or were you asked to be on posi numbers and I'm just missing it? No. Yeah. We weren't on posi <laughs> Yeah. Numbers. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, the, the Warriors played, uh, we played Wilkes-Barre Fest, I guess. Okay. And that was, that was like a whole debacle, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was like at home base. Have you ever been to home base in, in Scranton or Wilkes-Barre, wherever? Uh, like I don't. A, did they do? Uh, did they do? Is that where they also eventually did um, the pausing numbers stuff? One, one yeah, year? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I've seen. There it. were like these. There were these posts. Um, so, like, we just set up like double hell barbed wire <laughs> uh, on like two sides of it, and uh, so like. You know, our, our, our friends, uh, we're getting ready to play and the garage door goes up and fireworks go off and yeah, there's just like barbed wire strung between these posts and stuff like that. I mean, there's plenty of that stuff. I just remember, I forget who played after us, but I just remember I was sweeping up broken glass in front of them <laughs> while they're, while they're playing. I'm just like, oh man, but <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a good show too. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of like warrior shows like that, you know. Yeah, um, like like we played Halloween show double decker, and like use light tubes and like the old double decker, like super small, like <laughs> just stupid things. Now I'm like, why would we do that? Like, you know, the old dad is like, why would we do that stupid <laughs> stuff? But the time was great, you know, just like. Cancer causing dust in the air <laughs> in the <a> small area. <laughs> uh, well, I guess like yeah, that I guess, probably when you became when you actually started training to be a wrestler, that's the first thing you were like, yeah, I'm not gonna fuck with light bulb tubes too much anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally would have. I was big into like Big Japan and FMW mm-hmm. and stuff like that in the late nineties. Um, so that was like. But yeah, <laughs> I, I would have just never had the opportunity, I guess. Yeah, I guess In like, like a real pro wrestling setting. Did you wrestle much outside of Chikara? No, not really. Um, yeah, pretty much just just for Chikara. A few things here and there. Like we would do like Chikara six mans and like CZW shows. Yeah. Um, or uh, like, you know, we take one to like Jersey all pro and stuff like that, but it, mo- it was mostly in like the Chikara kind of setting. Cause at the time it was not a big group by any means, you know, like the first class was me, Mantis, Dragonfly, Icarus and Hollow Wicked. So mm-hmm. like the class was only like five people in the beginning. And then there were a couple of outside, uh, you know, guys who came in too, but the, the, the first Chikara show started as, as five matches for five bucks um, in the back of the, the training area. Um, so, um, yeah, so, but I didn't really wrestle too much outside, you know, uh, kind of a regret, I guess, um, because, uh, I had bands and work and all that other stuff. Like I never was able to go 100% in on wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like a little bit of a regret, but you know, I mean, it's still, it was still a great time uh, for me. You know, it was, it was fun. Like, it feels like, and once again, like coming from a complete outsider, that wrestling has gone through like a, the equivalent of what music went through pre and post Nirvana. 
maybe it's like <laughs> post CM Punk being at WWE where it's almost like it just seems like the the idea of being an independent wrestler ha- has changed, you know, and like the uh I guess like the 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 prospects for an independent wrestler seemingly have changed of all of all types these days. Definitely. Um yeah, I think it's um you know, I mean, you look at what the Attitude Era spawned and the changes that went through then. Mm-hmm. It allowed anybody to be, you know, a pro wrestler, which I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just growing up in the 90s when I used to go to, uh, like, independent shows around here, there weren't, like, young kids wrestling. You know, these are, like, men yeah. wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> these are, like, like, you know, like, 35 year old dads, like, uh, with, you know, beer guts and aren't doing much, you know, like these yeah. are like men, men, whereas, <laughs> you know, post that it's like anybody can kind of train and the younger you get in the better and it doesn't matter your size. And that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. It's just, it is very different. And it's, it's kind of like music, how everything is cyclical. So, you know, there's the ups and downs and, I feel like now wrestling is definitely at a very popular point. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like you look in like the UK, how insane it is right now over there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, even, even here, like I just think about me going like, you know, and obviously my took me a lot longer to come to terms with my wrestling fandom. Um, and by the time I started actually going to shows, there weren't that many people going to shows in Toronto, like independent wrestling shows. But now, a lot of them are sold out. Like there's kind of constantly big followings. It seems like, you know, through a lot of hard work on these promotions parts, but it just feels like even here, it's like, it, it's kind of happening in a different kind of way than it was a couple of years ago. And I guess, like you say, it's yeah. cyclical. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it gets to be whatever it takes or whatever happens where it, it reaches the right audience and connects at least for a couple year period where people are really into it. It's just kind of how it goes. It's those ups and downs of whatever. Cause I mean, the mid two thousands for wrestling were not the greatest, not you know? <laughs> and, and then, you know, you look at now and how many, like, like you said, just in the U S you know, how many promotions there are, yeah. you know, um, and, and carrying key, you know, key areas, you know, like, mm-hmm. so, like AIW, Chikara, CCW, uh, you know, so yeah, there's just a lot of, of different, a lot of different things. Yeah. Well, I, as I say, can talk to you forever, but both you and I have to get up early tomorrow morning with our children. So, uh, uh yeah. again, I know reality <laughs> setting in, but Brad, we didn't get very far in your journey at all. Um, <laughs> so I'd yeah. love to have you on for a part two at some point. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, cause this has been a lot of fun, dude. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and I guess, uh, just before we, we go, uh, I want to, I want to find out what your, what's your number one still for records. Is there still one that you kind of like that one white whale KBD bonzer that's, uh, on that list that I don't own. Yeah. That you don't own. No, that's the thing, right? Like, uh, well, I don't really own that much stuff anymore. Uh, like as far as like really rare records. Um It doesn't necessarily have to be really rare, but just something that you've always wanted to get that's still like that record. Uh the Count Vertigo single I never was able to find a copy of. Yeah. Um 
that, uh, as far as like my favorite records that I never owned would be Count Vertigo and Guilty Razors, I think. Mm. Yeah, those well, are, yeah. <laughs> so everyone out but, there, please send them to Brad if you have them. If you find them. For free, please. <laughs> for free. I'll, I'll, I'll pay your postage. How's that sound? I remember Simon Harvey found, I think, two or maybe it was just one uh, stock copies of the Vert- Count Vertigo 7-inch in the basement of the store Record Peddler in the late 90s. Oh, God, he's serious. It's great. I mean, that's one of those singles, too, is like it's so easy to pass over because the yeah. cover yeah. is just like, you know, how would you even pick that out? But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I love that single. So luckily, most of my Australian ones I was able to own at one time. The only things that kind of avoided me were like the early SPK singles. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I was able to get a fun things and a chosen few. And you own a fun things. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Did you ever go to Australia? I never did. Well, see the thing is uh, along with purchasing like killed by death comps, like there was played again records in Bethlehem mm-hmm. and they would carry a lot of that stuff. Like Matt and I would go there every Saturday and that's how, you know, we would get into like extra stuff and Planet Pimp stuff, and like Man or Astro Man, and things like that. They carried a more of that garage type stuff. Yeah. So when I got into Kill by Death, I would just go, and they would have a section, and I'd just pull stuff. So in the early 2000s, I pulled the Springtime and Bellston Cup. Oh, um, yeah. Which has, you know, it was how I was introduced to, uh, it was the first time I heard uh, Gary Gilmore by Chain Gang. And like the Yodler Killers, but the Young Identities were on there. So it was the first time that I heard Young Identities. And then in my dealings, I think I bought Positive Thinking off of Graham Booth in the early 2000s. (laughs) This is like record Uh, collecting. This is awesome. (laughs) This is record collecting gold. Yeah. So like that's what sent me into the Australian rabbit hole yeah and i became completely obsessed with that because then then i found out about the babies and the victims and chosen few uh, and stuff like that and that was really like to me the australian stuff there's so much good stuff mm-hmm. there in that time period and Dude. it's and it was like so it was hard to find out info on it you know so and then being into the young identities, that's what got me into the savage stuff and the shake stuff. So getting like just our Bane, the body snatchers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I started talking to rich from dropkick records. And then he put out the, you know, the CD of, of all that stuff. And then I found out more info there and then got other, you know, it just kind of went from there. But yeah, the fun things was well, fun things and chosen few were top, top ones. Yeah. You own a task force too, right? Yeah, uh, second press, and I just had like a photocopy of the cover. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, like both Razars. Um, yeah, it's yeah, fun. So good. It's it's yeah, crazy. I'm trying to think like what well, else? Yeah. Well, you said Australia. You said like a you said like a limited time period. I think Australia, it's amazing. Like it's like dipping your hand in a river that's full of fish and trying to catch one. Like there's every time you grab a record, it seems like it's killer. From like. The mid sixties to like the mid nineties. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Like, you know, cause then, then I started getting to like the weirder stuff, like the M squared stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd be like, Oh, who are the systematics? 
and like who are the slug fuckers and uh, you know like yeah. and it would go from there and just like there's so much stuff and like yeah, waterfront records later on and like the hard on stuff and even a lot of that stuff yeah and i mean like bored and yeah. the hard on stuff and you know even the band like even hoodoo guru stuff mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. dave faulkner and brad shepherd and and it still has that same vibe and it's into the mid 80s but a lot of it was kind of just there's so much of it (laughs) 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 when you get into when you get into like further out from like 77 to 81 into the 80s there's a lot a lot of stuff well I think piss jeans you guys have to become functional enough to do an Australian tour so you can go and see vicious sloth records and Uh, and, and just you know, like the, see the double decker of Australia because <laughs> it is yeah. <laughs> that, that is the one place that I every time I go there I'm like, well, this would be the path I would go on if I didn't have kids. Where <laughs> I just spent yeah. every cent I had here. Man, I would. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, oh do you remember Gem? I know we could talk. Gem G E M M M. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking about because I remember I bought a. A thought criminal is the second seven inch off there. Whoa. Like, I remember, like, like, did you ever pull anything cool off Jim? I mean, we didn't even get into, like, weird U.S. hardcore stuff either. Yeah. But I remember I would, like, pull stuff off there. Like, it's funny because you talked with MVP about the FWA 12-inch. Yeah, yeah. I like, want to I, still I bought that. that off Jim. Oh, shit. Like, I, that's where I got that record. Um and it was just like, what is this weird? You know, like just researching weird. I I had a weird period too of that of like just obsessed with like like impossible to find U.S. hardcore stuff as well. So that twelve yeah. inch to me is like is is like yeah, like up there is of the most obscure. And that's not just because I hadn't heard of it. I'm yeah. saying that, but like <laughs> just like trying to do deep googling for it. It's like I don't think it's on Discogs. I don't think there's a Discogs entry for it. Yeah. I think it's, it's like a YouTube not entry. That great. It's kind of cool. It's definitely it's, like no. It's cool. Yeah, like, it's cool. It's but it's not like no. It's killer, not. I guess. Yeah. It's 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 not a <laughs> victim in pain. But it's it's cool. It's true. <laughs> not much is. No, not much is. <laughs> but uh, but I, I'll you know who I think is uh is up there. Blind approach. Speaking of uh, obscure Minneapolis, yeah, <laughs> late eighties yeah, yeah. rapper. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's a good record, yeah. a- amazing record. But um, I kind yeah. of uh, yeah, like we just talked about record collecting all night. Uh, yeah, it's just keep going. Oh yeah, yeah. this. And how about this? Oh, yeah, Jem yeah. no, <laughs> was like, I think I got a couple things off Jem. My big thing was yeah. when I when eBay like not first came out, but like when I was like deep in the throes of my obsession early 2000s is looking up test pressing and realizing that because there's no, you know, uniform, like is it test pressing two words, test press two words, or is it one words of, of both of those? So I would find some weird things under test pressing. Like on eBay. Yeah. Like the zero boys test press. I've I've definitely searched for test pressing on eBay as well. Oh, absolutely. That was like, I mean, like just, like sitting at work in my yep. cubicle. Like, yep. <laughs> I had a, uh, I had a, a job where I was sitting at a computer all day. Actually, another time I was I was making buttons, filling in uh, at a button factory, like making pins at Crucial Pins, and I uh, had just I would just leave Doctor Strange, like the Doctor Strange web <laughs> store up, 
And then one day they just put up all the screeching weasel test presses of the seven inches for 20 bucks each, like every single seven inch. I was like, what the, so I bought them all that day. (laughs) Ah, sick. That's so great. (laughs) And a chopping block on red that day too, for $2. Nice. Yeah. Dr. Strange was a good one too. Mm -hmm. It was so random and it was such a frustrating thing to, Oh yes. Search through. That oh website. yes. Oh man. <laughs> uh, well, we, we, let's before we get into Timogen catalog or auctions and uh, and vacuum sales and the like. Probably <laughs> <laughs> the could. vacuum sale was great. I remember freaking out like wanting some of that stuff. It was great. The vacuum. Sorry. The vacuum. <laughs> no. Well, now you've you've unfortunately unleashed me on this one too. But the vacuum sale it was like at the time it was like a. It was like the high watermark for how much records could be sold for. Like, I remember Chokehold, yeah. uh, Crisis of Faith split be sold for like $40. And it was like, what? <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. yeah, right. I just loved how in the vacuum sale, if you would have multiple copies, it would just be like five in a row of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, uh, I don't know. I, my, I, wanna... I think my favorite thing. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No. I would just say, like, I know we're just hitting all random things in between. <laughs> At one time, I bought, like, so someone took an ad out in the back of Maxim Rock and Roll to sell records, okay? Mm-hmm. And my brain could have jumbled this around, but I'm pretty sure that this person put an ad out there, which had, and I bought the FU's My America. And I swear it was like $11. And I took $11 cash after the magazine was out and I sent it to this person and I received an FU's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, FU's Kill for Christ. Like later on. Wow. How, like what, what world was that? That was possible. <laughs> it's a, it's a world it's a world that we will, we can never get back to. But like yeah, I, think I know, like, right? You know, like where you you could trust someone to put money in the mail. And granted, sometimes you wouldn't get anything back, but, but yeah. still, like, or, or or you'd get it like a year later, New Age Records. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, mail order killed some of our friends' record labels. You know, mail order was the yeah. thing that I think crushed a lot of. <laughs> A lot of people's yeah. record labels. Yeah, very true. <laughs> the, the the great uh, pre-orders, pre-orders. I think oh, yeah. were also a big factor. Yeah, pre-orders during the pre-electronic age. Uh, what an interesting thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's just like throwing money down a well. You hope, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Brad, <laughs> dude, we're going to talk all night. So um, I'm going to say please come back for a part two and an all record collecting one and an all wrestling one as well. Um, because this, you got it. This has been a lot of fun, dude. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Tammy. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brad, for coming on the show. And as you can hear there, um, Brad is desperately needed for part two and a part three and probably more after that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's great. One of my favorite people to run into and talk to, but when you're in a band, it's like ships passing in the night sometimes. So when you do connect, you got to record and stick it on your goddamn podcast. That's what you got to do because, uh, you know, that's the only way to do it. 
Speaking of the only way to do it, next week on the show, we are going to be having one of my favorite people to do it in the comedy world. We're going to have Jonah Ray on the show. Jonah is someone who you may know from Meltdown. You may know him from Hidden America. You may know him from The Nerdist. You may know him from an incredible string of bands. Like, no joke, this guy played in some really killer bands. We're going to talk about it all next week on the show. There's some hilarious stories. Um, it, it's a really fun one. If you like New York Harker, you got to listen to this one too. Even though it's about a comedian in Hawaii, it, it all comes back to New York Harker eventually in punk. Um, anyway, thank you everyone for listening to the show. Uh, we're going to be back next week. We're going to be back week after that. Um, I promise there's going to be more gender diversity on the show. I'm really sorry about that. I've had a couple guests fall through and a couple things, you know, and not happen. And I, I really do apologize for anyone that feels there's a real lack of representation on the show. I acknowledge that. I really do. And I'm going to work on that too. But right now with this uh, touring schedule, I'm kind of just relying on uh, past uh, on, on friends that are in the immediate phone book. And there's a bunch of people that, anyway, I'm not going to make any more excuses. Don't worry. It's being addressed. I promise. Uh, anyway, thank you everyone for listening. Um, and go out there and make your own culture. Uh, get some sleep. Really try and get as much sleep as you can. Cause one day life is going to start and you're not going to be able to sleep and it's going to fucking <laughs> mess with your head. Um, and that's it. Um, thank you. Thank you. I love you. And I'll see you next week.